So this morning, we are going to be talking about a concept that will be very familiar to you. But the word that describes that concept, probably not so much. In fact, for me, it's a word I don't think I've ever used outside of a church or kind of spiritual discussion setting. And the word that we're going to be looking at this day is the word deference. Deference. Now, maybe this is a part of your regular everyday vocabulary. I don't think I've ever used it outside of of a setting like this. Um, And as a result, though you know the concept, um, uh, you may not uh, know what the definition is. So to have a little fun as we begin today, I'm going to give you three definitions, and then you kind of think through which one you think is the right one. So deference, uh, distinguishing between items. Some people cannot tell the difference between a cucumber and a zucchini, all right? First definition. Second definition, measuring hearing loss, deference. Some people cannot tell the difference between, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the hearing level of the deference scale has decreased on this individual from a seven to a four, deference. And then finally, the act or action of protecting someone or something. The Army plays a strategic role in preserving our country's national deference. So those are the three options. I'm not going to show, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because as you probably already figured out, this is a trick question. None of the definitions are right. Um, So what is deference? Well, we're going to look at that this morning as we continue on in our series, uh, Living the Dream, in which we've been looking at those principles, those qualities, those characteristics that that are helpful in life for us to live uh, what God would call us to, to enjoy the fullness that God would want us to experience here in this life, as well as to um, uh, really kind of prepare us for the life that awaits after this. And Tom Mann, I'm going to put you to work. There may be a chair, a stool in the back room. Would you grab that for me, please? Wrestling with some back issues this morning, so I'm I'm going to try to get a little bit more comfortable with that. Um, so we're uh, continuing on in the series that we've been looking at uh, entitled uh, Living the Dream. And so we've, thank you, sir. Um, and so we have looked at a number of qualities and characteristics related to that. And some of those will appear here on the screen uh, if I click it right. Or Ed, I'm going to need your help moving to the next slide, if you would, please. Thank you. So we've talked about faithfulness, the importance of uh, having that faithful walk with God. We've talked about uh, persevering in the midst of adversity. We've talked about the partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about uh, keeping our anger in check and under control. We've talked about living lives of moral integrity in the midst of an immoral society. We've talked about being people of prayer, of, of being good stewards of God, all that God entrusts us with, our time, our talent, our treasure. We've talked about riding above the societal level or standard of mediocrity to embrace that that standard of excellence that God calls us to. We've made mention of uh, the importance of knowing what eternity holds for us. There's really only two options there. Do you know which one is the option that you'll be pursuing? And then last week, we talked about the fear of the Lord. We made mention that, that we walk in obedience to God out of love for him. But sometimes uh, we, we strive to avoid those things that are contrary to his will. 
recognizing that there are consequences to that, and so we do so with a little bit of, of fear and trepidation as a part of that. Today, we're going to move in this new direction in which we're going to look at this idea of deference. And so, what is deference? Well, uh, we're going to use as a uh, kind of a working definition for us today what follows. Now, this is not what probably society would view it as in general, but I think it's appropriate for us as we think about it from a spiritual perspective. And we're going to refer to deference in this way. Yielding one's wants, needs, and rights in obedience to or to draw others closer to God. Now, I know you followed along on the screen. I know you can read it for yourself, but let me review that just one more time. Deference is yielding one's wants, needs, and rights in obedience to or to draw others closer to God. Now, as I've mentioned already, uh, we don't use deference on a very regular basis. So what would be the, the closest synonym to that that would be a part of our, of our everyday uh, language? I, as I was thinking about this, probably the word that comes closest in my mind is that word to submit or submission. But that doesn't feel quite right because submission tends to imply something that's been coerced or something that's been forced upon us. And yet the whole idea of of deference is that it's something that we do out of a willingness, out of a decision to be true and faithful to God. Um, now, uh, one of the things that we know is that we're uh, not really big fans, most of us, of this idea of deference because it runs contrary to our, our normal base nature of self-centeredness, of uh, look at me, of we're in control kind of thing. And yet, it's what God calls us to as followers of him. Now, as we think about this idea of deference, one of the things that we know is that as we think about um, the re- yielding or relinquishing our rights or uh, privileges to others, that there's really two kind of categories that are represented here. One of those is to do so out of obedience to God. And so uh, we may offer deference to God uh, based on the things that we sense he is calling us to. And so we seek his prompting. We seek the the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that can be in any number of areas of our life. Maybe it's, it's the job that we should take, or maybe it's the relationships that we have, or, or maybe it's uh, the place that we should live or the college that we should attend. But normally when we think about deference, we think about it in terms of our interaction with other people, which is where we're going to be focusing our time today. And one of the things that we know about deference is that the principle is not an absolute principle in the sense that just because somebody tells us that they, they think God is, is wanting them to have this, that we necessarily need to be the providers of that. So uh, let me read you a verse that gives us an example of that that we find in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, which says this. Then they, representing the religious leaders, called them, Peter and John, and again, and commanded them not to speak or to teach all in the name of Jesus But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to God. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So here you have these religious leaders. They're telling Peter and John not to do this, that God's kind of given them direction along that line. And and Peter and John say, we we can't follow that because uh, that would be disobedient for us uh, to embrace that or to engage in that. So suppose somebody tells you that, They think God is wanting them to have a new car, and you need to help provide that. 
Well, that doesn't mean you need to go out and rob a bank in order to help provide that resource for them. Or uh, it doesn't mean, uh, for example, that it's your responsibility to help somebody cheat on a test because they think God wants them to get a good grade in that class. Doing that would be in disobedience. And so for us, everything that we do under this label of deference is, is to do something in obedience to God or draw people closer to God. There's a, a spiritual component to that. And to do any of those things not only would be disobedient to what we see in terms of God's instruction, but obviously would, would end up leading people away from God rather than closer to him. And as we see this idea of difference, we also are, are mindful that there are, even when it's used in an appropriate manner, there's some parameters to this. There's some boundaries. There are some limits. Interesting passage in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 38 through 42, that says this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, uh, turn to them also the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, the basic principle Jesus is trying to convey here is that as Christians, we need to go above and beyond what the societal standards might be. However, I think there is something to be said about the specific details of what Jesus said here. For example, he doesn't say, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn around so they can punch you in the stomach. He doesn't say, if anyone uh, wants to take your shirt, that you need to hand them the keys to your house or give them all of your life savings. He doesn't say, if anyone forces you to go one mile, that you need to go with them five miles or 10 miles or 50 miles. Uh, we need to make efforts. We need to seek to, uh, to have a presence that, that uh, reaffirms some things we'll talk about in just a moment. But but even in that, there are some limits for their sake as well as for our sake. So as we think about this idea of, of deference, one of the questions that sometimes might arise is, well, how do we live it out? Where do we live it out? Where is it that this becomes a reality in our lives? Uh, one of the first places would be in our home setting. Um, and you may be thinking, well, uh, do we do that uh, right off the bat? Do we do that um, as uh, youngsters, as uh, adolescents as adults, and I would suggest to you that we need to be practicing difference from the very moment of birth. And I base that off of uh, some of those early commands that God gave us in the Old Testament, that, that set of commands we know as the Ten Commandments. And in that fifth commandment, we read this, honor your father and your mother. Honor your mom and dad. And, and what does that mean? Well, that means living our lives in a way that that um, is obedient to what they've called us to that's not embarrassing to them or, or frustrating. Now, I don't know any of us that have done that 100%, um, but, but that's a part of what we strive to, for, to, to live a life in which we consider them uh, maybe even above ourselves. And just to, to reinforce this idea, I think God echoed this sentiment in, in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Where is it that we practice deference? Well, we start by practicing it in the home, and not just, not just in the family that we have been born into, but the family that we create as well. One of the other places that deference is so important is in that relationship between a husband and a wife. There's some interesting passages that we find in the book of Ephesians, the end of the fifth chapter, into the sixth chapter, where it talks about the needs of one another. And one of the subjects that's addressed is this, this idea of submission. 
Now, frequently, uh, individuals, especially husbands, will go to the, the first verse of the sixth chapter that says that, that wives are to submit to their husbands. And yet, as they do that, they've missed the entire context of what uh, this passage is, is saying. Because if we go to the verse right before that, in chapter 5, verse 21, we read this. Husbands and wives, here's what's, who's being addressed. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so the overarching principle is that we're, we're to submit to one another, that we're to, to yield our wants and needs uh, to the other person in an attempt to, uh, to draw them closer in, in their relationship to God. Now, the verse does go on to say, again, in that, in that first verse of the sixth chapter, wives are to submit to their husbands as a part of how they live it out. But its wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. So wives, think about how is it that you submit to God? What does that mean for you? And that's the same manner in which you're called to submit to your spouse. On the other hand, for husbands, we, we live out this action of submission by loving our wives. If we go a little bit farther in the sixth chapter, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially grace-filled um, uh, in, in a manner that really is beyond uh, what we can uh, really understand in, in this life. And so we see this idea that, that throughout all aspects of the home, we're supposed to practice deference. We also see that we're supposed to practice deference in the workplace. And I'm going to use an interesting passage on this, but uh, bear with me as I kind of unpack it a little bit for us. The passage is taken out of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the fifth verse that says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Uh, the idea here of bond servants uh, in some translations, translations is, is the word slave. So, so how do we connect that with the workplace? Well, um, as we think about what being a slave was in, in the, the Roman times, it had a little bit of a different connotation than I think what we are naturally drawn to here in America. Uh, in, in the Roman times, there were basically two categories of people. There were slaves and slave owners, and, which meant that, that slaves did a phenomenal amount of the work and undergirded the society of that day and age. So slaves were not only the ones who did uh, the domestic work or were manual labor kinds of things, but slaves were also the ones who were doctors and administrators and teachers and artisans, and craftsmen, and tradespeople. Uh, they really uh, provided the backbone of Roman society. In fact, it's uh, estimated that perhaps as many as up to 60 million slaves uh, were in existence throughout the Roman Empire. And so as you think about that, it, it kind of correlates more to our idea of, of what it means to be in the workplace today. And what it says is that we are supposed to strive uh, to be faithful in our service to those who are our bosses. In fact, right beyond this passage, it says, be sure that you don't just do the hard work when the boss is looking. You need to work hard uh, all of the time, realizing that what we do, we do in God's sight, even if the boss isn't in the room at the moment. And so we see this idea of deference being at home, being at the workplace, and then finally, we see deference being practiced in relationships. What kinds of relationships? Well, all kinds of relationships. We've always already talked about the husband-wife relationship, so, uh, so this would apply to friendships. This would apply to uh, relationships that we have with neighbors or coworkers, uh, to teammates, classmates, roommates. 
And what we're instructed in the midst of that is what we find in Philippians, the second chapter, with these words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. That's what deference is about, is is looking to the needs uh, that others have and trying to find some ways that will help um, meeting those needs uh, to guide them toward a deeper and and more um, joyful relationship with God. So we've got this idea of deference. We see where it is that we're called to live it out. Uh, The last question we'll look at this morning is why would we do this? We've already talked about the fact it's contrary to our human nature. It's not something we we typically, most of us, willingly embrace uh, because it goes against focusing on us. It means focusing on someone else. So why would we do this? Well, Scripture gives us several reasons for this. One of those is to remind others that God cares about them to remind others that God cares about them. In Galatians 5.13, we read this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or your own wants and desires. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. But rather, serve one another humbly in love. Again, that runs contrary to to kind of what's wired in, in, in our fallen DNA, but it's what God calls us to practice, and we do that as a way of conveying God's love for them. I read this past week of a, of a um, study that was done that's anticipating that when the millennials get to retirement age, it's a few years off yet, but when millennials get to retirement age, they are going to be the wealthiest generation that has ever lived. Not necessarily because they have been the best savers or or most prudent in investments, but rather because they have inherited all of the money from the the baby boomers and the Gen X individuals, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so for the millennials, when they get to that age, they're going to be able to own whatever they want and go wherever they want and do whatever they want. But the one thing that other studies reveal that they're not going to have an abundance is deep and meaningful relationships. Those, in fact, are going to be quite rare. Not that they're not going to have uh, acquaintances. Oh, they're going to know a lot of people. They'll probably have hundreds of Facebook friends. But people that really care about them, people that are genuinely concerned, are going to be very few and far between, just because of changes that are happening in our society. You know, for, for many individu- individuals, if not most, what we find as we get later in life that, that those are needs are met in one of two ways. First, by family. Um, in generations past, families would have four or five, six kids who in turn would have four or five, six kids who in turn would have four or five or six kids, which would make for a huge family base that would provide care and oversight as individuals got older. Well, that's not happening in today's generations. Second place where we would find that that base would be just in the community. Um, typically, you would either die in the community you were born into, or uh, you might move to another community for a job, but that would probably be the one and only job you had because you'd stay in the same place of employment throughout your entire life. And so you'd be in that same community for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, that's what I've seen happen with my, 
mother-in-law with the passing of my father-in-law. She's been in this town of Perry, Oklahoma, I think for about 70 years now. And as long as you've got a, a pretty good reputation within the community, um, people sort of make you their own. And so when you get to that point, when you have needs or, or, or things arise that, uh, that need assistance by others, the community rallies around that. They provide for you food. They come and help with repairs. Uh, if I haven't already mentioned this, one of the things that's been astounding to me is that in Anne's hometown, um, her, her family doctor is doing their lawn at the moment um, because the need is there. You don't see that in most places today. Uh, but those are the places where most people would find those, those meaningful relationships where they just don't exist in that same capacity in today's age. So who's going to fill that gap? Who's going to provide care? Who's going to let other people know that they still have significance and importance? Well, it's going to be Christians. In fact, I'm not sure who it'll be if it's not Christians. It'll be uh, up to us to go and, and, and visit individuals that are a part of churches maybe that are living at home alone or in, in care facilities or maybe next-door neighbors. It's going to be up to us to let them know that they're valued and that they're important and that they have a significance. That'll be our responsibility. Uh, another reason that we live out deference in addition to, to reminding others that God cares for them is, is because Jesus did that. He lived a life of deference. In uh, Matthew, the 20th chapter, we read Jesus' words here. Whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think many of us, as we've lived throughout our, our Christian lives, have sort of embraced that, uh, that, that motto, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for us. And so if, if he lived a life of deference, then it's certainly something we ought to be thinking pretty seriously about. And we see that in just about every aspect of the life that we, he lived. I mean, the fact that he came down to this earth, he, he gave up the splendor and the majesty and the wonder of heaven uh, to live here uh, upon this, uh, this planet in which we call home. We think about it in, in, in terms of, of where he chose to live, of all of the places he could have chosen. He, he chose sort of the arid region of the Middle East. Could have lived in a palace, could have lived in a castle, but he chose to live in a, a pretty ordinary place. We see it lived out in, in terms of those that, that he selected to, to be the next generation of those that would carry on the good news of Jesus. Again, he could have, have chosen as his disciples the, the strongest, the smartest, the wisest, um, those who were, are, are the most uh, socially adept. He, he had the, the pick of humanity for that. But he chose fishermen, the guys who never really could get rid of that smell from their hands and and their clothes. He, he, he chose uh, those that were ostracized by society like a tax collector. He chose the very ordinary of life. In each one of those areas, Jesus demonstrated extraordinary deference, uh, putting the needs of others before his own. And again, if it's good enough for Jesus, um, certainly it's something we should be giving serious thought to. And then there's a third reason that we should be embracing deference, and that's because God tells us to. The scripture is very clear in that. And in Philippians 2, 3, it says this, Do nothing from selfish or selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important 
than yourselves? More important than yourselves? I don't know how often you, you pause to, to think about this deliberately, but the reality is that every person on the face of this earth has value to God. Every person has value to God. Does that mean the homeless that we see on the streets, uh, commercial as we go down by, uh, by the Rite Aid or out by the, uh, the interstates? Yeah, it means them. What about the, the murderers or the prostitutes? Does it mean them? Yeah. What about the deadbeat dads or the drug addicts, the gossips or the greedy? Does it mean them? Yeah. As well as those that are kind of more the ordinary folks that we think of, the, the soccer moms and the, the hardworking fathers and the doting grandparents, all of those, all of us, have value and significance to God. In fact, he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And it's our job to let people know that, to know that through our actions, to know that for the, uh, the way that, that we reach out to them. But what happens if we don't feel like reaching out to them? What happens if we, if we don't feel like embracing the homeless? I, I wish this was not the case, but there's, there's times when I go past some of these homeless settlements, and it's very frustrating to me. I see the mess that they've made. I see how it's difficult for people to get down the sidewalk. I think of, of individuals in my own family, and maybe you've got this as well, of people who have very messed up lives. And the reason that it's messed up is because they've messed it up. There's been all kinds of occasions where family members or social services or or, or the courts or others have come alongside them to try to help them move in a, a new, healthier direction in their life. There's been all kinds of resources that have been poured out on every level, and including uh, gifts uh, from family. There's been all kinds of things that have been done. And yet these people continue to choose poorly time after time after time after time after time. So what are we supposed to do in those situations? Are we still supposed to show deference? Well, yeah, we are. Not because we necessarily feel like it, but out of obedience to Christ. We looked at a passage a moment ago found in Ephesians 5 that was used particularly in the context of husbands and wives, but I think it applies to all of us. The verse was this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It doesn't say just submit to one another. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in those times, in those settings, when, when we don't feel like demonstrating deference, um, when we're more frustrated than anything, we still provide God's love. We still represent the significance and value that they have out of respect, out of reverence for Christ. Because, you know, that's what he showed us. At different times and different seasons of our life, we've all been in, in that place when we weren't particularly lovable. But God has always loved us in the same way we're called to love others. And so my hope is that as we uh, move out from this place in, in just a few minutes, um, that we'll do so with that recognition that God has called us to be a people who value the, the wants and the needs of of others often above our own. We do that hopefully out of, out of compassion. We do that 
hopefully out of a sense of, of, of grace-filled lives, but at the very least, we do so out of reverence for Christ, knowing of the great value of the great love that he has for them and for everyone. Amen.